Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the daily podcast for my show, Connecting Winnipeg. And if you can, please listen live weekdays from 10 to noon on 680 CJOB. Canadian Olympians visited Greenway School in Winnipeg this morning. Charles Hamlin and Megan Mickelson. And they visited Greenway School with a very important surprise. I would love to have been there to see the kids and and teachers react. Uh, I had a chance uh, to talk ahead of time with Canadian Olympian Charles Hamlin, and here's our conversation. Hey, what's up? Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You and Megan are going to be surprising a Winnipeg school very shortly. Tell us what you're going to the school to do. Well, we're going to the school to uh, announce to them that they will be part of the the, the, the program Breakfast Club uh, owned by Amazon. Uh, so all the kids there uh, will be assured to have a breakfast uh, every single morning they go to school. So that's pretty much the uh, the basic uh, we want to want to do to for kids because it's really important for kids to have a breakfast in the morning uh, if you want to be uh, equal to everyone to to um, have good results at school and be uh, be active in the during the day uh, when you're at school and they have no idea at greenway school that you are coming today they have no idea they they think that they are having a, um, a meeting with the with all the the, the teachers and uh, me, uh, Megan and me will uh, come out in, in um, the gym and surprise them with the with the program with Amazon and the Breakfast Club. Wow! And when you look at the numbers, you know, one in three kids are at risk of going to school on an empty stomach. This is significant. This is really important. Yeah, it is really important because it's it's a huge amount of kids around Canada that will go to school with an empty stomach. So. That's exactly what we don't want to. We don't want to see, and we will try to uh, to uh, to be there uh, um, uh, as much as we can. But uh, like you have to know, like the the program, I'm sure, makes this an even more important cause for you to be involved in. Yeah, even more. Like uh, our my kid is not going to school yet. Uh, she's going to the kindergarten, and uh, for for me, uh, I understand really well that like. How it's important for the kids to uh, to eat well during the day, to eat well, um, to make sure to learn uh, the better that uh, she um, she will be able to learn. And I want I would like to like give that to every kid because um, yes, my my little Violet is my kid, but uh, I'm touched about any stories about any kids because it's a uh, it's something really important for uh, for me that. We will try to give as much as we can for uh, all kids around uh, Canada. Big morning today at Greenway School. Charles, thanks a lot for doing this. Please tell Megan that we thank her. Uh, and um, just a wonderful thing that you're doing today. Those kids are going to be so excited to see you. Olympians, which, I mean, that's a that's a big deal in itself to get a visit from a couple of Olympians. Yeah, it's, a, it's something that we like to do. I think Megan and I are on the same page like that, uh, on, uh, on that day. Kids are really important, and it's our future. So for us, it's a, a good way to uh, to say hi and, and make sure to um, inspire kids that mm-hmm. maybe will become an athlete or uh, anything in life that will uh, be a successful uh, grown 
men or women. <laughs> Excellent. Have fun with it, Charles. Thank you. Thank you very much. Meantime, right now, the assembly line in Dearborn, Michigan, has cranked up production of Ford's next-generation electric pickup truck as an old classic gets a major update. There was no mistaking the sound of the 380-horsepower 2001 Ford F-150 Lightning. And while the 2022 electric version sounds more like a golf cart... It's the fastest most powerful F-150 that we've ever built. Ford's Jason Turnbull insists this is not just a novelty collector's car. It starts at under $40,000, and then it ranges all the way up to $90,000. The new Lightning has a battery range of 320 miles. Jim Ryan, ABC News. Now that's U.S. pricing there. Let's talk about the new electric F-150 with Lorraine Summerfield. She's an automotive writer. Lorraine, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for doing this. Is this a game changer? I kind of think it is. Oh, it's huge for Ford. There's a lot riding on this. And they've already spoken, I think, the last couple of days about their next uh, lit up, their next electrified pickup, which will be a smaller one. So they're definitely putting all their all the chips on this square, definitely. Yeah, I, I saw one quote. Uh, I think it was the head of Ford said, basically, we're betting the company on this truck. Farley, yep. Yeah, no, they, well, you figure that the only car they still make is the Mustang, and they electrified that. So their whole lineup is trucks and SUVs. And because we are doing this push to EVs that has to happen, everyone's, the hardest people to get over are going to be truck drivers, I think. And Ford is proving with this beast, because it's a beast, that guess what, people? This will do whatever you need it to do, you know. Uh, if you're off in the middle of nowhere working on construction and stuff, this thing will be your best friend. So it, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have talked here with all the rain and snow that we've had, all the weather we've had lately. We've mm-hmm. talked about, gee, i got to get a generator to run the sump pump in case I lose the power. This is yeah. literally a generator. I mean, this thing could be a generator, right? It it it, it can power everything. Yeah, the, the base one we'll have here will be 58000 If you go up to the one that's 68000 the big one pumps out at 111. Um, but if you go up to the 68,000 one, we've got it's got a, it's a power plant and it can run your home fully for up to three days, or if you do some rationing, up to 10 if there's a power failure. So there's a cool graphic on the Ford Ford.ca site that shows you this thing becomes your generator to run the house from. That that's kind of Star Trekky stuff. I mean, <laughs> You know, we think of what, you know, our cars take from us. Here's one saying we can give it back. And I know in there's parts of Europe with EVs, they pull energy from the cars when, when there's low grid stuff, which is a whole different story. But I think we're forgetting that these things can go two ways when it comes to supplying power as well as taking it. So it's kind of interesting. You know, Tesla, I mean, I think the Teslas are beautiful. They're They're amazing cars. Elon Musk has done great things with that. This is a little different because whenever we talk electric vehicles here in Winnipeg, right, with our winters, I I hear people say, well, yeah, but come on, that's not really a good option uh, for Winnipeg, for Manitoba. But this is a good option, and it's hard to say. Now, we've got to get the infrastructure in place, right, so these vehicles can be charged. But aside from that, this really is truly the next step, I think, in electric vehicles. It is. The technology is changing so rapidly that we can't 
my colleagues and I, like, we can't even keep on top of it. It's, you know, a few years ago, what we were discussing, it would be, you're in Winnipeg, forget it. Like, you know, it's just going to be too much of a problem. But the ranges have been extended like crazy. The battery function is becoming phenomenal. Like every single thing we throw at them, they address it if they haven't already, you know, fired it down. So manufacturers know what actual consumers are going to need. And if I live in Winnipeg, am I going to hesitate? Probably. An EV is a lifestyle change. You do have to think differently, but you also have to remember anyone that buys something, especially these are expensive, you're going to have a charging unit at your home for the most, like you just are. So how many of us leave the driveway every day with a full tank of fuel? You don't, but with an EV, you are. So when you factor in things like that, it kind of turns it a bit and long distance stuff. That is absolutely, you have to check ahead and make sure that you can do this. The infrastructure is not quite there, but it's moving really rapidly. And uh, it's, this will be the the big frontier. This is getting the people over that you thought you'd never get. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch how the Lightning does, the new electric Lightning from Ford, the F-150. Lorraine, thanks a lot for this. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Lorraine Summerfield, automotive writer. Uh, if you have not checked this vehicle out, go and, like, listen, I, I drive a beater now. I drive a 97 F-150. I've always liked the F-150. My dad was a Ford guy. I mean, isn't that usually the way it works, right? Whatever your dad was into, you're kind of into. Uh, I like the Ford F-150, and this truck is, wow. Like, it, it, it really is just crazy. So powerful, so fast, and does so much. It's going to be really interesting uh, to watch uh, if the wager pays off, and I, I think it will for Ford. Um, as I said, they're basically saying we're, we're betting the company on this. And I think it's probably going to go well for Ford. Jason Kinderchuk joins us now. Canada Research Chair, Assistant Professor, Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Manitoba. Jason, good morning. Good morning, Al. Been a while since we chatted. I thought I'd have you back. I do have a couple of specific questions for you, but where are we at? What's And again... For me, anyhow, and I have talked about this nonstop for two years, for me it's difficult to find the numbers, the data out there in one easily accessible place to know sort of where we're at with COVID. Where are we at? What is your best estimate? Yeah, it's a good question, right? So, um, you know, at least looking at uh, at some of the data that we were starting to see uh, later last week, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing certainly in, in different areas of, uh, of Canada, we're starting to see, you know, some signs of, of regression of the virus. Um, but we've seen, you know, still some, uh, you know, some upticks in, in wastewater in other places. So, you know, Alberta had, you know, had some upticks. Saskatchewan was you know, kind of, you know, depending on location, uh, was either going up or going down. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit uh, kind of frantic over over the next while, right? And we, we have to appreciate that certainly, so we're, we're talking about Omicron, but we're talking about a variety of sub-variants uh, that, that we've seen that, that have cropped up. So I think realistically, what we're seeing is kind of the frenetic nature of the latter part of a pandemic, where uh, we're not seeing one long, consistent wave. We're seeing, you know, bumps and ebbs and flows, and these aren't necessarily predictable. The only thing we can predict is that they're going to continue uh, until we're able to get uh, transmission under control and get variant emergence under control. Well, and in fact, uh, the House of Commons Foreign Affairs Committee yesterday, yesterday or the day before, 
was warned that we should expect disruptive new variants of COVID to continue to emerge every few months, right? Yeah, not not exactly a, a great thing to hear, right? Well, listen, there, there's some things to kind of kind of take with this as far as glass half empty, glass half full. So if we think about this from the perspective of immunity, we're, we're certainly in a different position than we were in early 2020. So mm-hmm. you take the combination of vaccination, you take the combination of boosters, and then uh, uh, infection-acquired immunity that we've seen through exposures in the community, that's lifted immunity in, in our population. So So that's good. Um, hopefully that's going to somewhat restrict the number of people that you know continue to require hospitalization. The bigger question is, um, how do we deal with the continual emergence of new variants, especially when they're unpredictable? And part of this goes back to this idea of, listen, until we get uh, you know emergence and, and transmission under control around the globe, we're going to be dealing with this. And then it becomes a question of how many global deaths do we want to see per year or per new uh, uh, variant? Um, until we kind of say, okay, we need to put all of our best interests into getting this curtailed. Yeah, and and that's not just in. And I want to ask you about boosters and why why it seems yeah. people are reluctant to get boosted here. But let's run with what you just said about other countries. I mean, we need these variants are going to continue to pop up. If not here, they'll end up here if we don't start getting people vaccinated elsewhere. Right. Absolutely. Listen, we're watching right now with BA4 and BA5 and BA.2.12.1 right now. These are all variants that, that have emerged that have, again, these, these signatures that have potential concerns um, that, that are, uh, are related to them. So we don't know for sure that they're more virulent or they're more transmissible, but they have signatures that tell us, OK, you need to be watching these. Um, the question is going to be how, how well do they take off uh, in different areas of the world? We don't know that yet. Um, but certainly we need to be saying, OK, we, we've got to get this under control. Surveillance is part of this, but mitigation of, of transmission is an, even a larger part. Why are uh, not enough, in my opinion, why are not enough people getting boosted? They're getting two shots, and for some reason for them, it's good enough. But it's not. Yeah, I, listen, I, I'm just a virologist, right? So, you know, thinking about this from, from my perspective, there's a couple of things. One is exhaustion. We're, you know, I, I think in many cases, I think we felt after two doses, okay, we're going to see uh, a cur- curtailing of the virus and things are going to get back to normal. Um, but by the way, the virus changed and evolved. Um, so it doesn't mean vaccines didn't work, but the virus has continued to change and we haven't necessarily adapted. So if we, uh, you know, it's kind of like, listen, if you if you knocked out Joe Montana when, you know, back in the in the 80s, you had Steve Young that was coming up in the wings. Um, you better be prepared for that potential eventuality as a defense. If you don't, um, certainly you're, you know, you're going to get, uh, you're, you know, you're going to get thrown all over the field. And, and I think we've seen that with the variants and, and boosters, which is to say um, we can't rely on the processes we used in 2020 uh, and early 2021 to get us through mid-2022, early 2023. We've got to adapt, and and that's a, a big part of messaging. It's a big part of continually talking and disclosing the data and being transparent, but also not letting people um, get kind of comfortable with the level of death. Like looking at the estimated global excess deaths for COVID-19, we're talking you know estimates of up into 20-plus million. Um, we can't look at this and say, well, you know, it's, it hasn't been as bad as it could have been. Yeah, you know what? It's been a lot worse than I think it probably should have been. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's for, and, and uh, by the way, I love the sports analogy. Uh, for a minute there, I thought I was talking to former Premier Brian Pallister, but no, it's Jason Kinderchuk <laughs> at the University of Manitoba. What's the holdup with getting kids under five vaccinated? I thought that would have been happening by now. Yeah, it's a good question, right? I, and listen, I'm, I'm frustrated as, as somebody who has a child that's under five, right? Because we're, we're, again, leading the situation of saying we don't have that protection for her, that option. Part of it, I think, is, again, it's the it's certainly the safety data, right? And I'm not saying that the vaccines aren't safe, but it's more so going through all of the data that's been incoming to the different health agencies and, and uh, oversight boards and having them go piece by piece to ensure that, listen, the safety is met, but also that the efficacy is met. Because I think there's also the feeling that we don't want to be giving out vaccines uh, to kids if the efficacy bar is not there. Because then you can put that potential false belief in people that, well, the vaccine is going to reduce their potential illness. And if it doesn't live up to expectations, then you reduce potentially the willingness for not only that vaccine in the future, but also other vaccines. Before I let you go, Jason, are you following the avian flu and the outbreaks that we're seeing around North America? And now we've got cases of it of it here in, in Manitoba and in a, in a flock now, not just a, an eagle in dolphin and some snow geese. Yeah. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm an emerging infectious disease guy, right? And I'm also an, an influenza uh, a researcher. So we're, we're certainly we've been watching uh, H5 flu for a long period of time. We're watching other avian-borne flus. Uh, this one's concerning because, yeah, now we're starting to see that migratory pattern across uh, the country. It's moving into, uh, into certainly into different poultry farms and a different, uh, uh, different avian species. The big thing, I think, to keep in mind, the incidence of spillover to humans is, is exceedingly low so far with what, what we've seen. But we also know that flu changes very quickly. So part of this is saying we want to be precautionary. We've got to get it under control so that we don't see that onward spillover. And by the way, now we start dealing with uh, with avian flu moving through through human populations. You, you, you mentioned uh, following the flu. Uh, that reminds me, I talked to my mom last night on the phone. She's in a home in southern Alberta, and she has been quarantined to her residence, her room, for 10 days because she has the flu. Um, yeah. what's going on with the flu or are, are we seeing much of that out there? Uh, you know, we focus so much on COVID and there's so much going yeah. on or are we talking enough about the flu? How bad is it looking? Um, we never talk enough about the flu in my mind, which is why I think, you know, we, we see, you know, vaccination rates never being kind of at the optimal side. Um, yeah, listen, we, we've got to talk about it. It didn't disappear, right? We were able to curtail it with, uh, you know, with, with heavy non-pharmaceutical interventions for the last couple of years. But, you know, what flu was still circulating uh, out in the wild, if you give it room, it starts going uh, going through and transmitting across people. So um, we, we've got to be appreciative. It certainly is still here. It certainly is still moving through populations. Um, but we also have to appreciate that uh, this, again, is a vaccine-preventable disease. So get vaccinated for flu as, as, as you know, commonly as, as we're getting uh, vaccinated for uh for COVID-19 or as readily as we're getting vaccinated for COVID-19. Jason, thanks a lot. Thanks all.